Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I'm joined by Dr Lorna Collins. Lorna is passionate about helping individuals to make sense through art, which allows them to express their needs, opinions, desires and dreams. She believes that allowing people to express themselves gives them a voice if sometimes they cannot be heard. This is exactly what Lorna did and why she joins us today to discuss her incredibly inspiring recovery journey and how she is using art to make a beautiful life for herself now. Hello Lorna! How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Good. Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Like I was saying uh, before we started the podcast, I'm currently in Guernsey on day two of my isolation, so it's quite nice to have something to do to fill my time. Have you had a nice weekend? Yes, I have. I've been out for out for lunch with a friend in the pub garden. <gasps> Lovely, which is really nice. Yeah, and I saw that you were cuddling your cat earlier on Instagram. Yes, cat, the cat and the dog are. Being oh, you've got both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! The dog, I'm very is, the dog is very jealous of the cat. <laughs> There's a little bit of sibling rivalry. Oh no! Does the cat get more attention? No, the dog gets more attention because the cat oh. is very aloof. He's <laughs> very aloof. But um, Foxy, the do- my dear dog, she is, she is devoted to me, and anything to sort of capture my attention is is definitely one to, for her to watch and be jealous of. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, bless. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm so excited to speak to you because I've spoken about your story before and I think it is, it's just incredible. So on that note, I wondered if you would wanted to start today by just explaining, you know, what, what happened um, and kind of your journey. Well, I think to begin with, right at the start, I actually feel a bit awkward here mm-hmm. talking about eating disorders um, and my story even. Um, because I think I've really made a new life for myself now without an eating disorder. It doesn't have an eating disorder in it anymore, which That's is fantastic. for me the end result. It was my goal and I've achieved that. And some people listening might be thinking, oh, how arrogant. She's really cocky saying that. How does she know she doesn't have an eating disorder anymore? Well, who is she to say that? You know, no, I don't think I so unwell. at all. I was unwell for like 20 years. Um, mm. But I'm so happy now. I feel I've achieved in my life. I've only just begun, really. I'm right at the start of my journey, mm-hmm. even though I'm at the end of another journey. But life is good. So to go back, I guess, I can do that. If you're don't okay I. with that. I can totally do that. It's Are you sure? Fine. I yeah, don't want to yeah, put promise. you in an uncomfortable position. No, 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 no. it's okay. So um, I'm really old now, okay. So I am 39 years old. And I actually feel like I'm 20 years old. I feel like I'm actually 20, not 
39 because when I was 18 I had a very severe traumatic brain injury falling off a horse mm. and I was unresponsive on the ground and airlifted to hospital and in a deep coma and eventually I did awake but I had total amnesia so I had forgotten every part of my memory I didn't know who I was didn't know who my family was didn't know what life was you know I was completely lost and from that I eventually went home and was very debilitated by my injuries and I used food as a method of trying to take back some sort of control and I lost weight felt good ate less lost more weight felt good and also self-harming, taking overdoses, behaving in a very, very self-destructive way. Because I was hallucinating, I was deeply distressed, I was angry, I was confused, frustrated, ashamed, I was lost, all these things. And I was trying desperately to find some kind of coping mechanism that would help me deal with all this. And taken to hospital, and that first hospital admission... I learnt lots more tricks for how to be more ill. Um, and then I was hospitalised hospitalized in and out, in and out for the next 19 years, 18 wow. years. Gosh. Um, and most of the admissions were compulsory admissions, so I detained under section. Mm-hmm. And it was a desperate, desperate time. And... I mean, if you're if you're okay to to you know talk about it, what what was it like being? I mean, you know, we've spoken before about your sort of your journey, and I know that you mm. struggled quite a lot in hospital of sort of getting that recognition of what was going on. Yes, I didn't understand it because I didn't think I was unwell. Mm. I did. I thought for when I had some uh, eating disorders admissions, but. Often I wasn't. I was told I wasn't thin enough to be admitted to an EDU. So because I was self-harming, I would be sent down to the local acute ward right. uh, and told, "Oh, you're lucky you're here, not in the EDU, because at the EDU they make you eat, and you don't have to eat here." So then I would lose more weight until I was about to die from malnutrition, and then sent to the EDU. You know, right. EDU was... being eating disorder unit. You know. Was that a, a kind of circle that happened? Were you yeah. Did you go and then come back and then mm. go? And I wasn't listened to because there wasn't such a thing called a system of therapy. It was medication I was sedated and quietened down mm. and then discharged. And that happened all the way through these many years. Wow. Even at, right at the end, I was admitted to a psychiatric ward at the Warnford Hospital in Oxford, an acute ward, right at the end. And I self-harmed really badly and had to have a skin graft. And I wasn't eating. Literally, I was not eating. Mm -hmm. And they put me on level three observation. So I had a a nurse with me 24-7, night and day, for the entire admission. And then they discharged me. That doesn't make any sense, does it? After two weeks, it wasn't a very long admission, but I was still very, very, very unsafe. And I hadn't eaten for two or three weeks. And I was on one-to-one observation, and then they decided to discharge me. On on what? Why? What? No reason. Wow. 
Wow. Then a few months later, I ended up in the eating disorder unit next door, uh, where I found my recovery. So it was a good thing in the end. You know, I found it. This is where it began. The the story turns happy. Yeah. Yeah. If we can say everything happens for a reason, I think that is, you know, that is, you've you've shown it there. Well, yes, I'm grateful that I, in a way, I was thinking about this yesterday. I thought to myself, if would I have been, if I had been given the end admission right at the beginning when I was 18 years old, do I think I would have recovered straight away? Mm. And in a creepy kind of way, I'm almost glad about my journey and all the things I've experienced because I have learned so much about compassion about empathy I have learned how to connect with people I have opened new worlds and they're not all bad Mm -hmm. some of them are beautiful you know I have visions of the world and I don't think I would have the perspective that I have now if I hadn't been through all those years and all that sorrow Mm -hmm. so maybe I would have recovered but I wouldn't be the person I am now yeah and I think it's it's a difficult one because there's like you say there's sort of two sides of it in that we should not and I'm not saying this in the slightest this is what it should be you know somebody should not have to get to the position that you were before Mm. they are given the right sort of care but often when we do go through really difficult things like you have yourself and what you've demonstrated you're now doing incredible things and like you say you've, you've learned so much so obviously I think you know whatever happens in life you learn from it and nobody should be put through what you were but like you say I think it's amazing that you can see that positive side I think that is just like hats off to you for being able to kind of turn it on its head and and see that side of it that's really kind I do worry about suffering I think about suffering and I think about humanity because I am a philosopher Mm -hmm. um and I do wonder to myself whether why there need be suffering yeah because i often think the course of my life is to reduce suffering mm-hmm. but you can't reduce suffering We're su- suffering as is a constant is a continuum it, it exists you can lessen it and you can increase it but it exists you can't avoid it in life mm-hmm. so why do we all try to reduce suffering because so many people do because I don't want people to hurt in the way I have hurt. Mm. And I know what has helped me. And I know that it can help other people too. Yeah. And, and what was it that helped you when you went to patent? Um, my creativity. My creativity. For me, recovery is a synonym for creativity. Mm-hmm. Because when I paint or I write or take photographs or dance or play I am I open a means of expression so I express who I am my moment this is who I am this is what I want to say and in that there is a sense of release so it releases all the difficult things Mm. and there's also a building mechanism so I can build foundations for my new life at the same time I experiment with different viewpoints I experiment with different techniques and I express myself. So it's about release and break and breaking free. And it's also about building a, a container from which I can be alive. Mm. Can you Did envisage you... that? I'll give you an example. Okay. Yeah. 
So this is an example from my life now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I am a recovered person, and that's a quote from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> someone else said that and I'm practically putting it on my CV good yeah yeah <laughs> so okay so I hallucinate I have hallucinations every day mm-hmm. um, I have vision so I see things and I see animals mostly at the moment. they're quite jolly people at the moment which is nice we that's have really good that's yeah great. it's really nice like this morning I saw a blackbird and he was called Ambrose um, anyway, so basically I have all these constant visions when I'm walking around the farm and it can be really overwhelming and I don't know how, what, really what to do with it. I'm like, I'm trying to concentrate on life, you know, and mm. I get these weird birds or whatever coming, invading my consciousness. So what I will do is I will get out my telephone, um, and dictate, cause this is me on my own. It's not, it's basically me talking to myself, but <laughs> I'll dictate what I can see. And then I will take it back to my house and I will paint it or write it. And the, the art is in the expression of the speaking or the mm. painting or the writing. And what that does is it gives me a container. It puts boundaries around the experience, which is overwhelming. Um, because when you write, it's a physical thing. Mm. Um, and when you have make a story or write a paragraph, it's a, it's a block, isn't it? A paragraph is three sentences. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm. Or when I paint a picture, it has contours, it has boundary lines to it, you know, where the paint stops and where the paper starts. Mm. So it turns it into a physical thing. And then the vision stops. Wow. Because they are contained in my creative activity. Do you think it's almost a way of... I mean, it's a different thing, but I recently have started to journal because I yeah. my head was so... It was, like, so full of thoughts, but equally, because there were so many, it was, like, all the time, and mm. I couldn't hear any of them. Mm. And so just by, like, free writing, it got yeah. it out. I don't read mm. it back. It just gets it out. So do you think yeah. that, like, painting is a way for you to just sort of get that vision out and then it's gone from your yeah it's not taking over well your it's, mind it's, anymore. it's gone from me it's gone from me but it's still there in a nice pot yeah you know what I mean it's still part of you so it's there it? it's definitely yeah. there but it's in a controllable containable manner yeah so I don't need to worry about it and I don't mm. need to be overwhelmed by it and then go on to the next one the next one appears and then I do the same with that and it can be completely exhausting but I am so enlivened by my creativity that it is never exhausting. Yeah. I think it's incredible that you've been able to find something that is just so powerful for you. And I think I think you mentioned it when we spoke before, but was that sort of the your creativity, was that the way that they sort of diagnosed you with yeah. the um, things that were going on Some at the time? things. At one point in my journey, um, I was very angst-ridden and painting in my room and I drew this really complex picture of what of which represented exactly what I was feeling I had these tactile hallucinations and it was wrapped up with my eating disorder and um, my other disorders Um, and a doctor uh, looked at my my room and he popped his head in and looked at it and he then diagnosed my illness by looking at my picture Uh, and that diagnosis I don't have any more, whether that's because I'm, unwe- I'm no longer unwell with it or whether that's because it was the wrong diagnosis in the, originally, mm. I don't know. 
anyway, I'm well now. But um, at the mo at that time, it was very helpful because to have a doctor look at my paintings and then actually try and connect with how I was feeling by seeing what I was making. That was very powerful and very important for my treatment at that time. Um, and then later on in Oxford, when I found the um, the hospital where they really helped me, the Warnford Hospital, Cotswold House Ward, um, they incorporated art and creativity in my treatment programme. So um, it art became medicine really um, mm. and it became an approach to help me access all the really difficult things and the trauma I have it had experienced uh, along my journey so by that time I'd had some terrible experiences mm. not just the original head injury but the trauma of treatment you know in horrible places so I was able to access that and express it by painting it you know when I was in therapy session um, my therapist would say um, you know, he'd asked me a pointed question which I won't repeat and I'd be silenced and unable to express it and then he, he would say go away and paint it and come back and we'll talk about it next week so I did that and then I painted I expressed the inexpressible mm -hmm. and came back and it was lessened I just think that's amazing because I think so many people struggle to put into words how mm. they're feeling because I think a lot of the time you don't even know. Um, so to be able to have such a powerful thing to turn to, to be able to express yourself, I think... But I believe, I'm going to interrupt you, I think we can all do it. Oh, absolutely. We might not know, uh, might not know that we have the capacity to be creative, but it's part of the essence of humanity. Yeah. I've done research on this. <laughs> I know you have. I want to ask about it. <laughs> what is the research that you've done? Well, I've written a book called Making Sense, Art Practice and Transformative Therapeutics. And okay, as I say again, I'm a philosopher, so it's a piece of philosophy. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't buy it. I'd love you to buy it. That'd be amazing. You can find it on Amazon. But um, it's, it's very jargony and long-winded. And if I was going to rewrite it, I'd, I definitely would change the wording of most of it. But the, in the, the prologue and the introduction work really well. So they're, mm. they're fine, that will do. But the rest <laughs> of it is nonsense, basically. It's about French <laughs> philosophy, so it's basic nonsense. Sorry to my publishers, Bloomsbury. Um, <laughs> You're doing a anyway. good job of selling the book, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, the intro and the prologue is amazing. And the conclusion's okay. not too bad. But the middle bits, you know, don't, don't bother. <laughs> but, yeah. Just skip those pages. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, it's about how... Um, I, I investigate how art can help us make sense of ourselves and the world. Mm. And I use psychoanalysis, um, post-structuralist philosophy um, and phenomenology um, to examine exactly how, when you make an artwork, how that can help you. And I use my own experiences of making an artwork and I turn to some really very wacky, amazing, dazzling artists, contemporary artists who I found along my way. A question I have, because for me personally, I love painting, um, mm. absolutely love it. But, you know, something that still lingers for me is perfectionism. And yeah. so the the idea 
of you know I've only just gotten around to this journaling thing because the thought of not writing in the most perfect handwriting just sends me you know like my brain is like it needs to be very neat so is the perfectionism something that you've had to overcome or is that not something that you experienced oh well I am a failed perfectionist yes (laughs) I love that that is the greatest thing I've heard I have been a failed perfectionist for years but with my art, it goes to it goes to pot basically mm-hmm. because I'm ho- I'm really not very good at realism or going in the lines. If I was colouring a picture with with crayons or whatever, I'd probably go outside the lines, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's partly radical because it's like, why go inside the line? Mm-hmm. Why do that? Let's use the whole area and be colourful, you know. Um, and also because that's not how I define art, going inside the lines. No. I, I define art as something radically expressive, you know. And I will fight against someone who tells me that you have to make something look like Leonardo da Vinci or something absolutely perfect. See, that's not how I work. I can't mm. do it like that. I get lots of colour, use my fingers and go crazy hell for leather on a piece of paper. And it's very splattery and very absorbing, mm. you know. So, yes, I when it's dry, I might think think to myself, "Oh no, that's awful. I have done it really badly," you know. Mm. But then what I'll do is, well, it's not finished yet. You ha- either it hasn't dried, and you haven't seen what what it's going to look like when it's dry, because it often looks completely different when it's dry from when it's wet. If I'm mm-hmm. painting, or if you're dissatisfied with it, keep going. You know, do more, add another layer. Yeah. I actually, as you were just saying that, I think that's such a good analogy for recovery. I think a lot of the time when we're going along, people want to have, quote unquote, the perfect recovery, which I don't think Mm. exists. But like you've just said, you know, I think sometimes people can get a bit down about the fact that maybe, you know, they're not where they think they should be yet and stuff. But it's like you've just said that with the painting when it's wet it's not yet finished so you don't know what it's going to look like or mm. you know you might need to add a bit more because you're not quite happy with it and I think that that just is recovery isn't it is you know mm. you're not quite there yet so it might not be exactly where you think you should be or want to be but also if it's not then just go a little bit you know just go for a little and bit also, longer no one really knows what recovery is exactly yeah it's not you know, just going out for cake every day and not caring about it. I think there's so much more it's to not. it. It's like, I live really well now. You know, I'm really happy. And it's like, how did that happen? Considering <laughs> how near death I have been yeah. so many times, you know. So what does and it I'm feel like? I'm not scared anymore. It feels, I'm really grateful, you know, because like I am working as a research fellow at University College London. I'm doing the things I... I wanted to do with my after my PhD mm. at Cambridge um, all those years ago. That was actually in I graduated in 2012, and then I was detained in Paris for many years and stuff. Anyway, that's another story. Um, but I'm finally getting there. You know, doing research, r- organizing conferences. I'm speaking at an all parliamentary party group event next week about the arts and mental health um i'm doing a lot of speeches and talks um and um being creative 
you know, like constantly writing and painting. I love it. It's really fun. Yeah. It's like, how can I be so privileged to enjoy my life? You know, I just, I feel almost as if it's not real, but I know it's real because it's very embodied. Mm-hmm. And do you think, was there something specific that got you to where you are now? Or do you think it was just sort of... I, I don't mean, mean it's it just really happened. hard work. No, it's such hard work. It's taken mm. a lot of, lot of hard work. It's taken persistence, uh, tenacity, courage, uh, obviously creativity. Learning to trust my gut instinct. Learning to realise I had a gut instinct rather than an eating disorder. Because mm. my previous gut instinct was my eating disorder telling me telling me what to do. Yeah. And now my gut inst- my gut instinct says, oh, go and eat something more. You know, get, why not go and eat something else? You know, yeah. go and eat something more or rest and go and watch the television, you know, yeah. rather than, you know, working and doing only work and writing and painting. Painting is wonderful, but it's still kind of an activity, isn't it? Mm, you know, absolutely. constantly on the go, which I am basically constantly on the go because <laughs> I'm busy. But isn't that fun? You know, yeah. that's really nice. However, my new gut instinct, literally before I came to talk to you, I was sat on the sofa watching Wife Swap Australia. Yeah. Ooh, that is a that, <laughs> that's an interesting one. <laughs> Can you believe it? See, no. that's what I mean. Recovery is about downtime. Mm. It's not just about doing. No. I realised I was exhausted and I needed to have some downtime. Yeah, I think I completely agree. I think one thing that I have really been this week actually uh have been thinking about is when that sort of you know when you lose that eating disorder you've had so long of the eating disorder sort of guiding you with you know this is what activity you should be doing or this is what food you should be eating to then have that I've noticed maybe I slip into asking other people is it okay if I do this or you know needing to talk to other people to discuss things but it's actually about realizing what Hannah wants um and what Hannah wants to wants to do I've always been fiercely independent so I've hated to rely on other people um I think sometimes it's been like I do have one in my life who don't realize it but I secretly seek their approval Mm. Um, and I feel in my head wondering what they would think of what I'm doing often Mm. not necessarily a bad thing just sometimes seeking approval you know I think that's very natural yeah I think that relates to what you were saying Um, it it does yeah it's almost um because you don't have the eating disorder saying it's okay or that's what I want you to do often I find I need other people to say oh you know I'm proud Mm. of you or you did well at that or you know you messed up and you should try harder it's that sort of self-awareness I guess Mm. is is it's not fully there I guess is what I mean Mm. It's always nice when someone says that you've done a good job. Mm. But I guess, do you think that you should be able to say that to yourself? Yes, of course. It's harder to say it to yourself because it's harder to allow yourself the time to stop and Mm -hmm. actually take a check and say, how did I do then? And then to say, I did really well. 
I don't do that very often, actually. Maybe I should do that more. I mean, more. Um, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. I'll try and it, do that a bit more. It's yeah. something I really realised this week. And I mean, we're going a bit off topic here, but I think it's quite a good thing to discuss. But uh, yeah, something I realised, I got a new job and I... I didn't know how to react and I was just waiting for my friends and my family to be like that's amazing well done and then I kind of took a step back and them saying to me that's amazing well done just didn't feel like enough and I realized that it needed to come from me um but I don't take the time to congratulate myself and I also find it really difficult too because you just feel quite big-headed although I do I think I realize it but I actually do feel proud yeah now I feel moments of pride. Like I was presenting a podcast last week. I do a series for one of my jobs at UCL. Mm. And um, the podcast went so well. My participants just talked to each other and asked each other questions. And I said nothing because they were doing it by themselves. <laughs> and after 20, after 20 minutes, 24 minutes, bang on target, it finished. And I thought I would just... I just beamed, you know. I was just so happy and proud because yeah. I was the one who orchestrated that and it went perfectly by itself without needing me. And I felt really proud. So, yes, I do feel... I do have moments where I congratulate myself. But I don't yeah. necessarily congratulate myself. I don't think you need to do that. It's just a feeling inside yes. myself. Look, look, this is what I've done. You know, even without me doing anything. Yeah, you did it so well, you did nothing. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but anyway, it happened. (laughs) No, but I think that's that's another thing as well, and that ties into, I think, recovery and so many things. It's just that expectation that something big is going to happen. Like, throughout my whole recovery, I thought that there would be one day where I would say, this is it, we made it, and I would feel like Mm. I had. But actually, it's just been years of, like you said before, constantly pushing a little bit more. And then Mm. one day, you just turn around and you're like, whoa, I just did that without even thinking. It's a a long process that you one day realise, and then... But that's not to discourage anyone from trying no. to recover because it it takes a long time but you may find like I do now that I'm grateful for how long it took and I'm grateful for what I have learned yeah and something and it's else definitely that... worth it yes absolutely yeah. and I know that you're working with first steps now and you also did your be creative that I wanted to talk to you about the work that you're doing there. I've just finished the course at First Steps, uh, yeah. actually. So we'll just we'll see what happens in the future. But I've just done a series of um, classes for um, service users at First Steps Eating Disorders, um, being creative. So we would, um, like, at each session, I would bring a stimulus. So it would be, um, what did we do? We did um, like mandala, painting mandalas or writing poetry or um, working with nature or imagining our favorite place literally could be anywhere and designing it and then building it Um, or things like that. It could be anything really Mm. Um, going on an adventure, you know, where do you go? What happens? Who who's with you and all that. And then we also had participants choosing the topic of conversation and and creation um so someone one of the participants chose to make fantastic animals and we drew funny 
birds and etc um i keep and keep returning to birds because of ambrose who i was talking about earlier <laughs> Um, but we we do lots of really creative things in these sessions with first steps and they were very popular and um, participants really enjoyed it I enjoyed it and it was just a lovely free space to be creative Mm -hmm. and and share experiences really yeah absolutely I think like we were saying earlier it's that freedom to express how you're feeling without maybe having to put in words which can be so Mm -hmm. difficult absolutely and what was the be creative thing that you have been working on yes well I um I started a launch being creative as a kind of pseudo micro company Mm. not um to run art art workshops um for different groups of people can be Mm. eating disorder service users or um local people around where I live or people from all over the world um or to to various companies do workshops for um, people who work at companies or individuals, children, adults, older people, um, every group, a range of of uh, an age of age group and different kinds of people, um, and I just present a, an idea, a stimulus, um, um, and then in, and help participants express themselves and use materials they never knew they had, such as coffee, tea. Mm. fingers you know if they don't have paint what do we use you know yeah um highlighters um tipex um but um flowers outside you know earth lots of things we can use Mm. and participants find that once they get lost in the materials their difficulties recede and they open a new part of themselves Mm. And there is a sense of freedom in the creative space. And I love the time when we're creating and um, there is silence. Everyone is silent. And this can go on for 15 minutes. And all we can hear are the scratching of pencil on a piece of paper. Mm. Or just the sound of creativity, like water slipping across a piece of paper. Or a leaf being crumpled up, you know. So all we can hear is doing and being. Mm. And, and that spo- is beautiful. I suppose that getting lost in what you're creating just takes mm. away whatever's going on in your head. Mm. It, you know, it goes for that period of time where you're creating because you're so focused on the artwork that you're doing. Yeah, it's the essence of art, really. Yeah, absolutely. I'm reading a book at the moment that was recommended by a friend and it's called how not to worry and start living or something like that Mm. and the chapter I've literally just read is in order to kind of escape worry you just need to distract yourself and Mm. I I initially was like I don't really like that because you know I do want to be able to just sit with my thoughts but equally I think sometimes by distracting yourself just for 15 minutes it mm. gives you time to process things without even realize that you're processing them so, you mm. know doing some art for 15 minutes and then you come back to said worry and you pretty much aren't as consumed by it as you were before and you can you can get on yeah it has been so lovely to speak with you I think your story like I said at the start is just incredible so thank you so much for sharing that And the sort of last question that I've been asking people um, on the podcast is if somebody's listening and they 
I mean, I think I know what your answer might be, but I'm not going to assume. Uh, if they, you know, have listened and they think, oh, I really would like to start the path of recovery, what would be your best advice for, to gain that motivation? I would say listen to yourself. Try and listen to your gut feeling, not your, your eating disorder. And if your eating disorder is stronger than your gut feeling, your gut feeling will be telling you to take note of that eating disorder and to do something about it. Mm. So I would say, on the one hand, seek help. So talk to someone you can speak to. That might be mm. your, someone in your family or a friend or GP um, or BEAT is, offers a very good um, service. Um, but also be aware in yourself and keep note of how you're feeling in a journal. Write down every day, maybe just whatever you like, however mm. you feel. Um, and also express yourself creatively. What I did when I was unwell was I would buy the newspaper every day, mm-hmm. The Guardian. Who catch you? <laughs> and a bit expensive, but really good. Um, really good. Um, but you can also buy the iPaper for about 40p. It's probably gone up in price by now, but it's really cheap. Go and buy the iPaper. Okay, it's cheap. And um, tear out words and pictures that catch your fancy mm. and make a collage. And you'll find new words and sentences appearing from the letters and bits and bobs that you've torn out of the um, newspaper. And you'll find that if you're like me, maybe you're not like me, probably not like me, oh well. You might find it absorbing and interesting and fun to make a collage every day. That provides both distraction, expression and meaning, Mm -hmm. more than you might ever think. So I would suggest that as a creative activity to try. Or you can try painting and or writing, taking photographs, making videos. Collage is always a good one to try. Mm, yeah. Bit of I sewing. Love... Sewing is mine. That is what I yeah. do. I took up during lockdown, I took in, up embroidery. And I didn't really think that you could be expressive with embroidery, but I, I have nailed it. Yeah, there you go. Follow Hannah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Lorna. It's been lovely to speak to you. My pleasure. You can find me on social media at Sensing Lorna. And thank do you. you have any books, websites, research or anything that we could go yeah. look at? LornaCollins.com, B1NGCreative.com. So it's being creative but with a number one rather than the I. Perfect. Books are coming out soon. Watch this space. <laughs> I'll put links to everything in the show notes if people do want to um, check everything out. I think Lorna's story is absolutely incredible and I really like the fact that she has been able to find something that has really helped her and it's something that she can carry on with and it's just such a beautiful thing to have that creativity as an outlet. Next week we'll be joined by Talia Kikail who is an eating disorder dietitian and she works on a private eating disorder ward but also has her own private clinic. 
With Talia, we talk about the importance of meal plans, symptoms that you might experience during eating disorder recovery, such as IBS, and also different diets like vegetarianism and going gluten-free. Part of having a healthy relationship with food is being able to be as spontaneous and flexible as you can be. And so if you're eating out, if you're traveling, if you go over to a friend's or family's house and they're not able to cater for your dietary preferences, which aren't medically needed, then I think it's really important in life to be able to have some flexibility around that. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so please be sure to subscribe. Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may be struggling at the moment. Not only those with eating disorders, but also their loved ones, as this can be a difficult time for everyone. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire others to embark their recovery journey. For further support, please visit the Beat or the First Steps website or speak to your local GP. See you next week. Bye!